My name is Becky Reeder, and I'm an audit partner and the co-leader of the Alternative Investments Practice at Weaver. I am joined today by a very special guest and my counterpart here at Weaver, Sindhu Rajesh. Uh, welcome, Sindhu. Thanks, Becky. Glad Hi. to be on the podcast with you. Yeah, I know. This is great. Um, so can you tell us real quick a little bit about yourself? Um, just kind of give us a background, um, history, um, and tell us a little bit about your experience at Weaver. Sure. So I've been Weaver for over eight years now. And um, during before this, I was at another firm where I was there for 14 years, focused on investment funds practice. And I did a one-year stint at KPMG as well before joining Weaver. So a little over 23 years of experience right now, uh, specifically in investment funds. And over the last 15 years or so, more focused on venture funds. Um, and so right now, I my predominant practice is in venture funds. I think I would do 80% of my book of business relates to venture funds. Wow, 80%. That's quite a bit. What, yeah. what do you love so much about venture funds? I think it's because venture is always investing in a new and emerging industry, technology that has not been seen before, just new ideas. It's not the regular brick and mortar. So that's what's so exciting to me is being able to see what kind of um, ideas or what kind of new technologies my clients are investing in and how they envision the market in the future, especially people that are investing in fintech, AI is just so new and emerging. So it's really exciting to see what the future holds. And it's such a dynamic environment too, right? There's there's big upswings and there can be sometimes, you know, the the on the downside as well, which is perhaps what we're seeing in the last uh, a few months or so. Um, so we, I did want to talk today about um, valuations for venture funds. Um, so it's kind of that time of year again where we're discussing our year-end preparations um, for spring audit engagements. And so a lot of the conversations that come up um, during those um, talks with our clients um, really focus on valuations. It's a major area of audit focus for our teams, and it's always a major focus for our clients as well. And so um, what are some of the um, you know, what, what are some of the things that venture funds are focused on right now and how are things looking towards the end of the year? And what are some of the biggest questions really that you're getting from your clients about valuations this year? Sure. So we've actually told our clients to just be more proactive with us. Don't just finalize valuations. Let's chat if they have any questions on how to approach it. Mm -hmm. And what we're trying to do is do a lot of these discussions now as we're doing interim testing. So when we're doing interim testing, we're looking at their portfolio and trying to identify which investments they've not had any round of financing in 2023. So those we consider stale investments. So anything beyond before 2023, where they had no new round of financing, no activity in 2023, you're saying, okay, we need to do more for this. You mm -hmm. can't just say cost approximates fair value or last round of financing that happened in 2021 or 2022 is still the most relevant. How do you know it's still relevant? So we need to do a little bit more digging about it. And so we identify that portfolio that needs to get confirmed. And we actually send a list of questions to our client and say, you know, you're going to reach out to your client companies anyways to um, inquire about how their Q4 went and um, get all these metrics rather than tapping them twice, once for your purposes for valuation and then separately for the audit. Let's just do it combined. So mm -hmm. here's a list of questions that we have, you know, that we want to go, uh, reach out and get confirmed directly with your portfolio companies. Add it to yours send it to them, CC us, and make sure they respond to us. 
And so that's kind of how we're doing it more proactively with our clients. So we're telling them, send these questions out mm-hmm. late December or early Jan, whenever you reach out to your portfolio companies to get these questions answered. So we can get all this metrics directly. And then if there's any questions that come up, you know, we can go back and forth and discuss it. So your valuations are being finalized at the same time our confirmations are being received. So it makes it a much smoother and less strenuous process, not just for the GPs, but also for the portfolio companies that are to respond to these um, emails. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I think that's a great way to approach it for sure. And, and what are some of the things that you're asking them about? So typically we want to know if they've had a new round of financing during the year. And if they have, then we ask them to provide the articles of incorporation. Now, some of these may have had new rounds that are not really equity rounds of financing. For instance, they may have new safe rounds of financing or new convertible notes. So then the um, articles of incorporation is not going to change because it's not a new equity round. So then we ask for more information about this. Like, is it an insider round? Is it an external round? Um, Because sometimes what may happen is the investors don't want to get diluted. The company doesn't want to get diluted and they feel going out to the market right now and raising in this current environment may not really give them more money. It may just be status quo at the same valuation or could be a down round as well. So they're trying to hold down as long as possible and potentially do it through a convertible note round or a safe round rather than actually issuing equity at this point. So we want to make sure that we understand the metrics behind it. Is it like, is the valuation really impacted? Is the valuation cap of the new safe round or the convertible note round around the same as the previous valuation round, or is it lower than that? So we do want to evaluate that as well. So that's kind of, we ask additional questions on those rounds. Um, The other thing we're asking for is, um, do they have enough cash to keep going for 24 months, you know, for 12 months, which means all of 2024, do they have enough cash for going, you know, for all of 2024? Um, And to the extent they don't, what are their, what's your game plan? Are they planning to raise a new funding round? Is it going to be another insider round? How else are they going to finance this? Or is it just going to be, you know, cutting costs? Because cutting costs mm-hmm. is going to be another red flag for us, right? As opposed to raising right. funding. And the other thing we want to know is, are they really meeting milestones? Every time they go out to the market and raise new funding, it's with specific milestones in mind that they're either going to, you know, upgrade their technology platform or get from, you know, base X to base Y in terms of the number of new subscribers or certain other revenue milestones that they're planning to achieve. And so the only way they'll be able to raise the next round of financing is if they met the milestones that they had previously targeted. Otherwise, it's not going to be easy for them to raise that. So we do want to understand if they've raised those, you know, if they've accomplished those milestones, because otherwise that'll impact their ability to raise new funding. Mm -hmm. So those are some of the questions that we initially asked them. And then depending on the responses, we may have some follow-up con- you know, discussions with the client or also with the portfolio company. So what happens in a situation where, you know, perhaps they don't, the investee company, um, our client doesn't necessarily have significant access to the investee company's management, or maybe they don't have visibility into the operations or their financial statements. Um, Essentially, they don't really have any information rights at all. And we know that that's, you know, kind of a, a very common situation in the VC world. So how does that kind of impact Um, what you guys are looking at from an audit team perspective and how does that um, factor into the analysis that the fund manager is doing from a valuation perspective? Sure. So actually we do this even when we're onboarding a client, you know, before we even take them on as a client and do a proposal, we even ask them, uh, do you have information rights? If not, what kind of information can you get if you don't have formal information rights? 
Because very often what happens is the clients may not have formal information rights because they've written a really small check, 25,000, 50,000 and so on for a big company. Mm -hmm. But they may have informal rights, which means that they will at least get a response to how the company is doing. It may not have financial metrics associated with it. For instance, they may not get information about revenue numbers, but the company may be willing to say, we went from 10,000 subscribers to 15,000 subscribers. Or they may be able to say, hey, we have a few new contracts that are signed up that's going to generate additional revenue for us. So they'll have some qualitative information that they're able to get. Um, The other thing is we look at is um, at the time you made the investment, you had some information based on which you decided this is an investment worth making. Hmm. Is that information you got directly from the company or is that information you got from other contacts that are also investing in that same company? You had some way of deciding this is a com- you know investment that I want to pursue further, right? So you may have either received financial or non-financial information. So depending on the financial information you received, is there a way to get updated information on this through your network that you used at the time you made the investment? If it's non-financial information, is there a way to quantify any of this non-financial information in terms of subscribers being increased or you know um, the number of products that you're go- you know going out to market with the number of different types of product lines that you have or the just the number of sales increases. So is there any other kind of information that you're able to access? And at a minimum, we normally know that even for clients that don't have information rights, when we send an email, they're normally able to respond, even if it's to say, okay, they may not say how much cash they have, but they'll at least say, yes, we have cash to keep going for the next 12 months. Mm-hmm. Or they say, yes, you're meeting mm-hmm. the milestones. We didn't re- meet our revenue milestone or we didn't meet you know, our technology milestone, but um, this is how we are overcoming that. So they're at least able to respond to some of our generic questions that is able to provide us at least some information on whether do we need to do anything further about this investment? Is like last round of financing or cost still the best approximation of fair value? Or is there a concern of impairment that we need to mark this down? Mm-hmm. The other thing is a lot of these companies, you know, they may be on through Cap IQ or PitchBook. So to the extent the client has access to that information uh, and they subscribe to PitchBook or Cap IQ, they may be able to search those and see what other rounds of financing have been raised and at least get information on whether the liquidation preferences are there, you know, their pari pursue, what the priced round was. They may also be able to see if there's any secondary market transactions. And actually some of these companies, uh, to the extent they're pre-IPO, you know, at that stage, three or two or three years from an IPO, they may also have secondary market transactions. That means they may be allowing their shareholders or the employees to trade on companies like SharesPost or Second Market or Zambato, some of those trading platforms mm-hmm. that allow for these share trades, even though they're not public companies. So they can check that to see what transactions have happened in those secondary markets. And typically they may be for common shares, but sometimes even for preferred shares and see what are those shares trading at. So that's an additional data point. Mm-hmm. So basically don't just default to cost or last round just because you've not had any information about the company request financial, non-financial information, either directly from the company or through the sources you used at the time you made the investment to identify, is there a concern here that I need to impair it? And Mm -hmm. our risk is mostly, you know, whether it's overstated versus whether the valuation is understated. So our concern is, are they valuing it at a cost of financing round that has now been impaired? The, The company is no longer valuable at that round. So I need to write it down. So that's really our biggest concern. Of course, it has to be still fair valued. But to the extent we can't mark it up because we don't have the financial information, at least we need to know, is there an amount that we need to be marked down? And that's kind of where all of this information helps. Mm-hmm. 
So let's talk a little bit more about that. Um, you mentioned the use of cost or last round of financing for valuation. Um, you know, that's, that's, you know, a pretty standard approach when we're looking at VC valuations to default to cost or last round. But as you've just mentioned, there's several other factors that um, fund managers and we as auditors need to be looking at when considering valuation. Um, so what are some of those other considerations when, you know, fund managers are looking at that? Um, what else should they be considering? So I would say, you know, if they have access to information, then they should also look at what is the annual recurring revenue of the company at the time they made the investment? And what is the annual recurring now when the new funding round is being raised? Or if there's no new funding round raised, then what is the annual recurring revenue at, you know, your valuation date? And see how has that changed? And then take a look to see, okay, at the time you made the investment, you know, what was the valuation? What was your post-money valuation, right? So you have your post-money valuation at that point. You have your annual recurring revenue at that point. You divide the two. And that gives you your implied revenue multiple. So, and then you can take a look to see how is the market at that point. If you assuming the company is you know late stage enough where you had what you consider market comps or companies that you could consider, you know, public companies that are kind of comparable to my company, you could take a look at what that trading multiples were compared to your implied multiple and what kind of a discount it reflects to that public multiples. And then apply that same metrics now. So it's kind of that process of calibration that we talk about, mm -hmm. which is at that point mm -hmm. of making the investment, what was your implied multiple and what was your discount of that implied multiple to the public comms? And then look at today. You don't have the valuation today because there's no new round of financing raised today, let's say. But you have access to information about your annual recurring revenue. So take that annual recurring revenue, look at the multiples in the public comms, and if you apply the same discount, assuming everything's staying the same, markets have not changed significantly, or your company's trending along in line with the market, then if you apply the same discount, what should your you know, uh, implied multiple be, right? Based on the discount that existed at the time you made the investment. And if you applied that discounted annual you know, revenue multiple to your current annual recurring revenue, that would give you your post-money value. And then if you have your latest and greatest cap table from the company, you'd know what your ownership percentage is on a fully diluted as converted basis. That's the important part is to make sure you're looking at it on a fully diluted basis, you know, as if all preferred shares converted to common. Mm -hmm. So when you look at that and you apply that ownership percentage, that'll give you an idea of what your value of the company should be at this point. So that is what we would suggest is get your latest cap, um, cap table from the company. Uh, make sure you have the articles of incorporation from the company. To the extent you can get financial metrics, which is financial statements that show your revenue numbers, try and get that so you can see, okay, do they have cash to keep going? What is your cash burn rate looking like, which is what you're getting from your cash flow statement? And then also, what is your revenue numbers looking like? And, um, you know, so at least at a minimum, you want to get that. If you're not able to get that, maybe a board deck. If you're able to get that um, to kind of show what the trajectory of the company looks like, what is their estimation in terms of where they um, see themselves a year from now, what is their plans for growth and for revenue increases, what's your plan to increase the subscribers or the product sales. So that'll also give you an idea of how this company should be valued and whether the previous round of financing or cost is still the most relevant valuation. Are there any other considerations for companies that are pre-revenue? Um, do they need to be considering other factors? So when it's pre-revenue, it's really the milestones and um, what has changed in the company. Like if the CEO left or, you know, anybody from the management team left or have they done a, what do you call it, a product shift 
very often these companies, they may start off with one product or one um, idea in mind and then realize that the market fit is not there, the market adaptation is not happening, and they have to shift focus. And so they may shift to some different product where they can use this idea and morph it into something else. Mm -hmm. So if that has changed, then all their projections are out the door. So in that case, are they still going to be able to raise financing based on this? So if any of these kind of shifts have happened, that can be a red flag for impairment because that's going to take some time, right? At the time they mm -hmm. last raised funding, and yes, they are pre-revenue, so they don't have revenues, but at the time they last raised funding, they were planning for a particular product or a particular subscriber base. And now that's changed because of the fact that that was not working and they had to shift or somebody in key management position left. Um, all of that is going to trigger a potential impairment scenario for that company. So they need to be factoring this in. Mm -hmm. But then the others from a growth standpoint is look at how, you know, what milestones they had projected at accomplishing, be it number of subscribers, um, market penetration or whatever that plan was. And has that been met? And has mm -hmm. that gone past what they were anticipating? So it's kind of looking at those qualitative information when there's no revenue numbers, qualitative information like subscribers, like um, other milestones that they had in place. And have they met or surpassed that? Or are they still tra uh, trailing behind? because of, you know, X, Y, Z reason. And when, and when you're looking at those qualitative factors, you know, let's say they've set a milestone and that milestone wasn't met. And so now you have an indication that there is potential impairment. How would you then translate that into a quantitative input or, you know, a discount? How would you apply those qualitative factors and calculate um, a discount that you would put on that investment? So that is actually going to be very um, judgmental, right? There's no science for it. So like everybody has a different judgment. If you put two clients in the room, yeah. both of them have the exact same investment. One may come up with a 20% discount. Another one may come up with a 50% discount. Mm -hmm. So we kind of look at it as, you know, you could do a probability weighting, right? You could say, okay, here's what I've did for the investment. I invested, let's say 100,000. What is the probability that it's going to go to zero? What is the probability that it's going to be partially successful? What's the probability, probability that I'm going to recoup my entire cost on it? And so that's kind of what they call a PVM, a probability-weighted approach. So you give probability to those three different scenarios, like your low case, your um, moderate case, and your best case scenario. And you give your what you consider your probability, and then you assign values, right? Based on the probability, what are the chances I'll get zero out of my investment, or I get the whole amount, or I get 50% of it, and then come up with an approach that way. That would be the best thing. So you're factoring all different possibilities rather than just zeroing in on one possibility of, you know, zero or full recovery. So I would say kind of having that probability weighting would be the best way. And then it's a matter of justifying it. But it's easier to justify when you've considered all scenarios versus when you've only considered one scenario. Right, right. That's great. And, and so how, you know, when we're having these conversations with our clients, you know, one of the things that we, that often comes up in this process is, you know, hey, well, what do you think, Weaver? Um, and a lot of times, you know, we, we aren't able to necessarily um, give that type of feedback because we're essentially auditing those numbers. And so, um, you know, we can't be involved in 
crafting the valuation methodology for our clients because we're auditing that information. Um, so can you kind of explain a little bit more um, for maybe some of our newer VC managers, if they're going through this process for the first time, um, you know, what is kind of the role of the GP in this process? Maybe the fund admin, how can they assist in the valuation process? And then what is kind of the role of the auditor in all of this and, and how is it all working together? Sure. So I would say the administrator, because they are, you know, making sure the SOI is up to date before they finalize the book. So they would be the first start point to kind of flag this for the GP and say, hey, this one's not been updated for the last 12 months. You know, should we be updating this? So they would at least um, be the trigger to get the GP to start thinking about these are the investments in your portfolio that have not had an update for the last 12 months. So we do need to change this. So I think that would be their role to point it out to the GP. At the end of the day, it's a GP's responsibility to do the valuation. So if there's had a last round of financing that happened in 2023, that's easy. The GP needs to be updating that as long as certain criteria are met, making sure that the liquidation preference are all peri-pursued, the voting rights are all peri-pursued. Because if it's not, then they need to say, can I really say that my Series A has the same value as a Series C that just happened? Mm-hmm. If my liquidation preference are not peri-pursued, if my conversion rights are not peri-pursued, then you can't really just default to that. At that point, you'll need to do like a another methodology, either an option pricing model or looking at it as an, uh, you know, getting the latest cap table and doing a fully diluted as converted base analysis to see what should my value be, mm-hmm. you know, uh, factoring in all of these different conversion rates and stuff. Mm-hmm. But that is going to be the GP's responsibility. Where we come in as a resource, our auditor should be considered as a resource. So you can go to the auditor and say, hey, you know, here's the challenge I have. This company, they've not had a new funding round because that's where the questions happen, Right. Or they've had a funding round, but the market's tanked since then. And I need to know how to address this. Like, should I be writing it down or how should I be thinking about it? So that's why we can come in because we work with so many venture fund managers. We can say, okay, here's how we see other people doing it, right? We're not telling you what you should be doing. We're just providing you scenarios of what we've seen others in the same position or same boat like you do. So here's all the different options to you. It's really up to you to decide which option makes sense for you. And to the extent we have any concerns about any of these options from an audit standpoint, then let's discuss that, discuss what our concerns is so you can address those as well as you're putting this, you know, valuation policy together. But at the end of the day, it's the GP's responsibility to not only draft their valuation policy, but update it every year to make sure it reflects their current methodology. And then also what inputs they're using into the model. That's again, completely their responsibility. Mm -hmm. We are literally there as a guide to help them understand, okay, here's all the different options to you that you can consider. And at the end of the day, they have to narrow down from these options what makes the most sense given that particular company, given their fund size, given the um, the the stake, what percentage of their NAV is invested in that particular uh, company and how, um, how it impacts the overall portfolio, they have to make that determination of how mm-hmm. to approach the valuation. And so many times, you know, um, with VC funds, um, Cash is tight. Um, you know, we we know that there's not an unlimited amount of, of funds to go around. And so oftentimes those valuation considerations are being done in-house by the GP. Um, but, you know, what would kind of be some circumstances in which the GP would decide to invest in using a third-party valuation specialist um, for evaluation of some of these companies? Normally, I haven't seen funds, venture funds want to use a third party unless it's a markup situation. 
Mm-hmm. They definitely no need somebody's help, you know, to mark down an investment. Sure. Um, so typically what they do is if they feel like, okay, this company is doing well, the industry is also doing well, but, um, and I have information rights because otherwise I can't really use a third party source if I don't have any information about their revenue, mm-hmm. but I don't have the capability myself to kind of assess all of this because it's a complex capital structure. There's warrants, there's options, there's different kinds of preferred shares. And some of these preferences and the conversion rights may not all be peri pursued. So mm-hmm. I can't just take a new round of financing and apply it, or um, there's no new round of financing, but I know the company is doing well. Their revenues have gone through the roof way beyond you know what they were targeting. And so I do need to reflect that markup. So at that point, because they don't have the bandwidth or the, I'd say the expertise in-house to be able to evaluate how does this market impact or the industry impact or the company's growth, how do I translate that to evaluation? When I have all this information, I just need to be able to know how do I value the company, knowing that the company has grown. At that point, I would say it would make sense to engage a third party that can actually, that does a lot of these venture portfolio companies and can help you with these valuations. Mm-hmm. Great. All right. Well, is there anything else that um, you feel like would be helpful for our clients to know about the valuation process that we haven't yet talked about today? I'd say start early, reach out to the portfolio companies. Very often when we have audit adjustments, it's because they didn't really reach out to all their portfolio companies or they didn't question the information they got to see, okay, you know, is there a sign of impairment? Is there any red flags here that I should be looking into? And so when we send out confirmations and some of the responses come back saying that we don't have cash to keep going or we're not meeting milestones. And then we talk to the GP and we realize, okay, there is an impairment here. Things Mm. should have been written down, but that was not done before the audit started, it was written down through the audit process, then that triggers, you know, a significant deficiency or a material weakness and audit adjustments. And all of us like to avoid audit adjustments, it's just more work for everybody Mm -hmm. and have numbers changing. So I'd say do the process early to the extent you have questions on how I should be addressing my stale portfolio, talk to your auditors about it. Um, Just be proactive in the communication with them and start that process in this November, December, early Jan timeframe before your books are finalized to just kind of make sure everything is a smooth process for the audit. Awesome. I love that. Great advice. Um, Definitely know that that helps in my client base as well. Early and often communication is definitely the best way to go. So, um, well, awesome. Thank you, Sindhu, so much. Um, This was a great conversation. You have so much knowledge and insight that you've gained in working with your venture clients over these last several years. And so um, I think it's great that uh, we can talk with our clients about this and, and make sure that we're all on the same page come year end. Um, so with that, we'll wrap it up today um, with our valuation conversation. Um, just as a reminder, um, for those of you listening, Weaver provides services to over 2,800 investment funds, including over 350 venture funds. We have a dedicated industry group of professionals to serve the investment company community by providing audit, tax, and advisory services. Um, If you enjoyed this conversation today, we have additional episodes of The Alternative Edge over at Weaver.com, and you can find both Sindhu and me on LinkedIn and, of course, at Weaver.com as well. Um, Thanks again, Sindhu, for joining me on this podcast today, Um, and thank you, um, everyone, for listening, and be sure to tune in for future episodes of The Alternative Edge. Um, But for today, I'm your host, Becky Reeder, and we will talk again soon. Bye. Thanks, Becky. Bye.